Hi, this is Mike Smon, Executive Director of the Alumni Relations Office at NJIT, and I'm very happy to welcome you to our next Highlander chat. Uh, today, I've got the honor of welcoming Dr. R. Gerald, or Jerry Bailey. Um, Dr. Bailey is an MS grad uh, with a chemical engineering degree, class of 1970. He consults for Bailey Energy. He's chairman of the Western Energy Group, which is a Houston-based company, uh, among a variety of other companies, including Lux Global Holdings, Silver Petroleum Corporation. He was a former CEO of Petrotech Energy, uh, Petrosun. He was chairman and CEO of Arizona Energy Partners, which was an affiliate of Petrosun. He also uh, served as an executive with the Abu Dhabi Onshore Oil Company, the Qatar Petroleum Corp, and Exxon Lago Oil Refinery. <clears throat> uh, he is a, as I mentioned, chemical engineering graduate uh, from NJIT. He also has his undergraduate from the University of Houston, uh, and he has BS, MS, and PhD degrees. Uh, he also has written numerous articles, papers, uh, and he is one of the foremost experts on energy production and renewable energy production, as well as non-toxic shale reclamation in the United States of America. And now it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Bailey. Well, thank you very much. I mean, my goodness, what a, uh, you know, you, you said so many nice things and maybe only <laughs> half of that people would believe. But anyway, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I thought uh, when you mentioned, yes, I graduated with my MS there in 1970. In fact, May of 70, we're right at 50 years on since that date. And I don't know where all the time went, but uh, you know, it, it's hard to imagine. I mean, but it, that's what it was. 50. 50 years ago now. This is a big anniversary for you from NJIT and yeah, before, right. I'm sure. It certainly is. And uh, it's been a pleasure the whole time. I was glad that I was able to make the contact uh, contact with the college and the university there. Uh, back at that time, I was working over in, uh, in Manhattan with uh, uh, Texaco at the time. I was in the Chrysler building. And my graduate work had been interrupted. I was down in Texas, got transferred to New York. And I said, how am I going to finish this up? And I, I don't even remember how I came across uh, uh, the university there, but I did. And I was going three nights a week. I would go uh, when I left Manhattan, I would ride the bus over to, uh, to Newark, to the station there, walk up the hill to the school then catch a train at nine o'clock at night or something to go back down. I was living in South Amboy. So man, those were, those were some days. So, but anyway, that's a lot of history. <laughs> well, frankly, it seems like you've used the time extremely productively since you graduated from NJIT. Uh, when I was reading your biography, it occurred to me that I really needed to blend together some of these things because it would take me probably about a half hour to list off all the things that you've been doing since. Uh, and I know that that was a continuation of, uh, of your career, essentially. Um, what I want to do real quick uh, is start and say, how are you doing? I know you're down in Houston right now, I believe. How's the family? How's life for you? Well, thanks for asking. Yes, uh, we're doing quite well. It's, uh, it's certainly a trying times. And I, uh, I know all the folks up on the East Coast have certainly uh, been hit harder than those of us down here in this region. But Nevertheless, uh, we're doing okay. Thank you for that. And uh, again, because of the technology that we have, at least uh, I'm able to carry on a lot of my business uh, dealing with the various companies and, and groups that I uh, am involved with. I can do it remotely. So um, anyway, we're, we're holding uh, fine at the moment and, and, and looking for this to get through before too long. Well, that's good. I'm really happy to hear that. Um, 
So looking at your career, one of the things that I noticed was you had started off uh, chemical engineering. Uh, you had gone in that energy direction. Uh, your experience at Exxon has got to be one of the pinnacles that you can reach in energy and oil production, petroleum, and so on. Um, but a lot of your recent efforts have gone more towards non-toxic and reclamation and oil shale development, uh, Canada, the United States, and elsewhere. Uh, mm -hmm. I, from an outsider's perspective, that looks like a bit of a shift for you. Um, was it, what brought you to that, uh, to that viewpoint about investing in these sort of companies? Uh, or is this just another part of your natural progress as an oil and energy executive? Well, I think you answered part of your own question right there at the end. Um, yes, I had a, a, a very good uh, career uh, early on with Texaco, and then I was uh, headhunted by Exxon in the middle of the night one time and, uh, and offered me one of those deals that I couldn't refuse. And so I wasn't looking to change, but I did. I went with uh, Exxon and... Uh, I have to give them credit of being one of the finest companies anybody could work with because they take care of everybody, but they also are very demanding. They, uh, they, they typically train the people from uh, the university level and work them up. So I was kind of an odd case. I came in in mid-career, met a lot of uh, obstacles over that because I didn't fit the normal mold. And I told people, hey, I, I got offered a job and I took it. But I was able and uh, very fortunate to get to advance all the way to being a president of the company. But you're right. I, my business was, you know, upstream, downstream, midstream. I've been involved in, in, in every aspect from drilling and production, uh, refining. As you mentioned, I ran the refinery down in uh, Aruba uh, for Exxon. Uh, I've been in LNG over in Libya, uh, oil and gas in the Middle East quite a bit, and then domestically. However, after I retired, I took early retirement in uh, 97 to get back home because I'd been away for so many years, and I thought about retiring. I don't ever use that word anymore, and I don't think anyone should because I think it's, it's good to keep working, keep your brain active, and that's what I, I've been doing. And I came across, um, through some other uh, connections, the, uh, the oil sands business. So when you say I, I shifted a little bit, I, I did, but not, uh, it was just an adjunct to all the other things I'm still involved in. But I got involved with this company called Petrotech Energy. Uh, they have an office in Los Angeles and we built a plant in Vernal, Utah to extract oil from the sands. Utah has the majority of oil sands in the United States. We're, we're doing it in a very environmentally friendly, no water. No one else had ever done this before. People say, well, how can you be involved in the first thing? I said, they probably asked the Wright brothers the same question. You know, is this thing going to fly? Well, we found something that flies and it's doing well. So I'm concentrating a lot on that now and helping in that. But that's just another way to provide energy for the, for the country. And so, uh, it, but it's a good way and it's something that works. So I've got to ask, uh, looking back over the last couple of weeks, and I think at this point, it's probably a month, maybe over, we have seen enormous swings in oil production, uh, in cuts, in this battle between OPEC member states. Uh, you're somebody who's pretty informed about the different players. What has been going on? 
Uh, I know that's sort of a broad question, but you read news reports. And in fact, I just saw something saying oil futures are down again. And you, you look at how volatile this is. And I've got to imagine there's some story here, but it's tough to get a beat on what that is. So I'd love to hear your take on what is going on right now with the oil market. Well, it is a very complex uh, situation. And the, the media sometimes, uh, they say a lot of things. They, they don't have all the facts or maybe they don't have all the proper background. Um, the, the market got caught here in a perfect storm, as you, as you might say. Uh, with the virus thing coming uh, on, on the market or into the market to play on what was happening. At the same time, we have been very successful in the United States in producing uh, oil. People talk about U.S. being oil or energy independent. Uh, I don't really say that's going to ever happen per se because you just can't isolate yourself and say you can do it all, not in a market that's so global. But at the same time, um, Russia has been raising their output. They've been doing very well. And they got into a, you know, a little argument between them and Saudi about production. And everybody worries about maintaining their market share. Uh, Saudi Arabia still can control the market. They're, they're one of the largest, obviously, between well, Saudi and, and U.S. and Russia now, the three big ones. But Saudi has the ability to produce oil cheaper than anyone else. So they can keep lowering the price. And that's what they did. And at the same time, the market starts falling. Jobs were affected by the virus. And we got into a, a political gamemanship over there. Saudi did not really, in my view, intend to hurt the U.S. production. It just happened that way because Saudi is really... Uh, they rely a lot on us just like we do on them to exchange products. Many people may not know, but the largest refinery in the United States in Port Arthur, Texas, where I used to work when I first started in 63, the it was the Texaco refinery. It's now owned by Saudi and it's the largest, you know, manufacturing or refining operation in the country. So they're not going to try to mess up their own business. So that's kind of where it, it got to going sideways. And then once it got started, uh, it, it's just stayed down. We're at about $21 as we speak on this day. So I didn't know that. That was an interesting piece of information. Uh, so in a way, they're kind of damaging themselves if this were a purposeful thing, as opposed to a byproduct of... That's uh, right. And that's why I don't think it will continue much longer. I, I saw recent comments uh, coming out of Saudi where they have commented already that that was not their intent. It just, it fell that way. They need us. We need them. A lot of things people don't know is that uh, petroleum oil uh, is of different qualities and the same quality that makes one product, like if you're focusing on gasoline or diesel or heavy fuels for ships and this sort, they all require different qualities of oil. And we don't have in the U.S. all of that in one place or the ability to do all those things and neither do other countries. So you, you kind of have to get oil from different places and blend it together to get a mix that works to make the product that you're intending to make. Jerry, is that what's 
I've heard it referred to as light crude or light sweet crude and so on and so forth. Is that, uh, is that official wording for those sort of things or is that something? Oh, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Yes, that is, uh, that's exactly uh, what it amounts to. The oil is measured for your viewers in terms of, uh, of its gravity, of its, uh, of its weight. Um, and lighter crudes are used for the, uh, top end of the uh, the spectrum. In other words, they'll make like uh, gasolines and some diesels or maybe some aviation fuel. But as you get into heavier things like oil that's used for uh, for ships or the bunker fuels, they call it, uh, or for heavy industry or for even the manufacture of lubricants, then those require some heavier weighted materials. We don't have a lot of that in the United States. Now, I mentioned the Petrotech oil sands, that does make some of that product. So we can sell all of that we can make to offset or to blend with some of the lighter stuff that comes out of uh, West Texas, the Permian Basin. Mexico makes a lot of this heavier material. So we get a lot of oil coming from Mexico to blend in that way. So when you say light and heavy, that's, that's what that refers to. So all around the world, you have different qualities of oil. And that's why, again, it becomes more of a global uh, mixing pot of different uh, uh, crudes to make up what particular refiners may need. So, Jerry, you were talking before about how Saudi can uh, really maintain, they, they produce oil at the cheapest uh, possible cost. Them. Right. And I imagine that's because of the decades and decades of investment they've made in technology, uh, in the sort of technology infrastructure you have to develop, not just to get it out of the ground, but then to refine it, take it, ship it, and so on. Um, as somebody who's involved, I think, on the cutting edge right now of oil reclamation, uh, which is really that next step, are there trends that you're seeing starting now? Uh, similar to what you must have seen with oil shale and so on that are going to start paying off in 10, 20 years or that we should be paying attention to? Well, if, if you're talking about uh, the, the industry or the energy uh, industry in general, uh, there are some things. Now, the, the technology continues to improve you know, exponentially in what people can use to extract the oil, to get it... Uh, 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 to where it's producible in commercial quantities. There's a lot of oil in the world. I mean, it, there's still a lot to be found and a lot to be uh, recovered, but much of it is in places that are in depths of the sea or in, in on land that are very hard to reach. And so the technologies have proved in the ability to drill and to uh, make the oil more fluid. Some of it is say very thick like molasses or uh, it's hard to flow and some flow is almost like water. So you have a lot of things to help. So we gained on that. And but Saudi has been, again, very uh, fortunate to be located in a place where it's not all that difficult. Their, their oil is actually easier to flow and to, to recover. But as we move from other things, um, I'm always said that there's a lot of avenues for the energy needs of the world. And I speak globally because it is a global issue. And so I'm, I'm not I'm not a, a purist that says, oh, the only way to do it is the oil. 
although in the lifetime of most people watching uh, you know your show here um, oil is still going to be the cheapest most cost effective way to provide energy but having said that there's developments coming along with the uh, with the wind uh, the solar uh, nuclear is still there geothermal uh, all of these things uh, will have a, a contribution to make but right now they cannot compete with the low cost of oil but they fit in with niche markets and so these are things that we we have to watch and be be looking for um, so there's there's different avenues that are still out there for us to find ways to to fill up the energy uh, need one thing that I, I should mention too that's a little bit it's not straight energy and that is something i'm involved with and that is helium people don't think much about helium but it is a very critical component as well and uh, i'm the ceo of arizona energy uh, which is also developing helium in the four corner states of the southwest but helium will also be an energy item that has become more and more critical for not just uh, you know we think of it as for balloons but it's it's what runs the MRI machines, which get a lot of attention these days. It's helpful for people, even like in this uh, coronavirus thing, because helium fed into an oxygen mixture also helps the lungs be able to handle uh, the uh, improvement and, and stability that's needed for patients that are, you know, ailing. Uh, it also is involved in chip manufacture and in rocket uh, uh, cleaning and purging of the propulsion systems in, in, in rocket spaceships. So that's another area that uh, has come along in, in, in my lifetime that's, that's very interesting and important. You know, I was listening, uh, since you mentioned helium, I was listening to a podcast the other day about helium and how this is not a renewable resource. It's, it's around, but there's a, a relatively limited amount of it that we can get a hold of. Uh, and how the U.S. had released some from the national stockpile some time ago. Yeah. Um, but up to and including, I think it was Party City, suddenly wasn't able to start uh, filling party right. balloons for a while. Right. So uh, is this something that you're, you're working towards um, uh, trying to identify new sources and or trying to figure out how to, um, you know, in some way make better use of what we currently have in terms of our national stockpile or national resources? Yes, that's you've given me an opening there, certainly to, to comment. It's um, uh, helium is considered a strategic uh, material by the U.S. government. They they control all of it. Most of it stored uh, in Amarillo, uh, Texas area, because there, there was a lot in that location. But uh, a year or so back, uh, the government decided to try to open it more to the free market, and they have stopped. To a lot of their work, but they still need the, the product. And so the company I got with, uh, we found that in the area of uh, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Southern Colorado, is the largest concentration of helium in the United States, North America, really. Uh, helium, as you say, is, is really widespread. It's one of the largest uh, elements around in the earth, but it's hard to find. It's in small bits. But in that area, it, it has found been found in large concentrations. So what we're trying to do is provide a larger um, source of it there for all the major 
uh, gas uh, users and distributors of helium. And, and there's quite a few of them worldwide. So we're just filling that void that was being just sold out primarily from the government sources and, and looking for ways to commercialize it in the, uh, in the public sector. That's really interesting. Uh, so I, I always like to make a quick plug. I'd love to have you come back to campus sometime in the near future. Uh, I've I been trying to get there yeah. for the longest, but I, I just uh, I get so tied up with one thing or another, and then and then now I can't move around too much. But yeah. Well, and and this wouldn't be a good time to visit anyway. I should say. No. <laughs> this works out well. Uh, uh, I, I'm I'm even taking care of all these different businesses long distance, but. Uh, but we're, we're keeping things going and, uh, but yes. So, uh, Jerry, there's one last question I've got to ask. Sure. We, we started out the broadcast with you describing a little bit about how you came to NJIT and, and that commute and the fact that this is 50 years ago now, uh, what drew you to NJIT? I mean, th these are choices that you were able to make and, and, you know, it's a path that you took. Um, and, and has NJIT helped you on this road that you've taken, uh, which is just so fascinating, I think, to all of us. Well, I admit, when I when I was transferred up to the East Coast, I did not know of the school. But as I, at the time, I was doing, uh, like I say, I was a graduate of the University of Houston, but then I was doing some graduate work at uh, Lamar University. It was Lamar Tech in Beaumont, Texas at the time. And I was just about to finish my master's work you know, I got transferred, and so I asked if there's, they knew of any places. And among the places they mentioned at the time, again, many of people will not remember, but it was called Newark College of Engineering. Well, I thought it's an engineering school, and it's close enough to Manhattan. I looked at some places in New York, but they didn't seem to fit. And I don't know. I was living down in uh, South Amboy and commuting to New York every day, so it just it was on the natural path, and it had. Uh, it had people I, 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 that I recognized the names of professors. And I thought, well, surely I could be helped out. And so the gentleman I uh, spoke with or eventually ended up working with was a Dr. H.T. Chin. And Dr. Chin was, uh, was the main person. But there were a few times even that I, when some of the professors were absent, they would ask me to stand up and maybe fill in for them that night because I already had enough background that I knew the subject. So I, I even helped a bit. But the school has been really um, uh, key to me. I mean, I've, I've mentioned it over the years in my resume and talking to people and not surprising to you, but it was to me at the time, how many people knew of the school. So I highly recommend it as a, a, an engineering and scientific uh, based technology school. Uh, for the things that it can deliver and provide for, for aspiring uh, students. So it's, uh, I, I recommend it very much. Well, Dr. Bailey, I can't think of a better natural place for us to conclude uh, our broadcast today. Um, I, I don't think anybody can make a better sell for NJIT than an alum like yourself who has done so much uh, with all the education you've gotten and with what NJIT could help you to accomplish. NCE. I was glad you mentioned that. Yes, right. Well, <laughs> and, and as you and as you know, um, I, I I have opportunities to speak. Uh, I, I do a lot of uh, 
media work. Uh, Fox uh, Business has me on. Stuart Barney's show has me on. In fact, they asked me to come up there last week. And I said, look, I'm not coming to New York. I said, I'll do it like this remotely. But uh, I do have opportunities for uh, public uh, uh, television, uh, you know, viewing where I get asked to speak. So there are times when I can put in a nice word for, uh, for the school as well, for NJIT and let people know. I didn't get here on my own. People, people helped me and guided me. And, you know, I don't forget that. Well, Dr. Bailey, thank you so much for joining us today. As proud as you are of NCE and your undergraduate uh, and the work you've done, we are uh, at least as proud of everything you've accomplished and the sort of pride that you bring to the school and to fellow alums. Uh, thank you again. And uh, my best wishes to you, your family, stay safe, stay healthy. And when everything blows over, I can't wait to have you back up to New Jersey. I promise I'm going to, I'm going to get there. I've got a, I've got a list of people who want me in New York and I'm going to say, I'm going to be by to see you guys. And again, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, all the best wishes for you as well and your family and the school itself. Thank you again. Thank you, sir. All right, so that was our latest Highlander chat with Dr. Jerry Bailey. Uh, again, Jerry is a uh, an energy executive uh, extraordinaire and also former president of Exxon Middle East, among many, many other roles. Uh, MSCHE, class of 1970. Uh, we are so thankful that he was able to join us today. I encourage everyone who would like to connect with Dr. Bailey after the conclusion of this Highlander chat to leave messages uh, and comments in our feed, wherever you may happen to be watching this, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, and a special plug now, we are also a podcast. So you can find us on Apple Podcast, you can find us on Spotify, on Google Podcast, or by visiting our website at njit.edu slash alumni. Uh, it's been a pleasure today, and I hope to see you on our next broadcast. My name is Mike Small, an Executive Director of Alumni Relations, and my best wishes to you and your families for a safe and healthy spring and possibly summer.